0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, May 22nd. I'm recovering from the final round of the PGA Championship, an event I was able to attend in person yesterday. Saw Brooks Kepka get his fifth major. Rory McIlroy falter down the stretch yet again. And uh, look, it's a nice young crop of golfers, and Kepka's Back at the top of that list, there's no question about it. He uh, he bags himself another big payday in a major, his fifth major championship, his third PGA title. There's, uh, there's a lot to like about this guy outside of the fact that he's a live golfer, and we're not going to see him on this tour more than uh, a couple of times a year now because of the majors and the uh, the live scheduling, but that could change. Things could bend and flex and merge, and who knows? Um, That story's not going away. But in terms of a majors killer, Kepka is healthy and he is back. And he looked every bit the part yesterday. Serious, but also jovial. Uh, Still taking his big shots. Not so much laying up like we've seen some players try to do it on the stretch on a Sunday. It was a good experience to be in person. There's no question about it. And uh, I don't think he's going away anytime soon. Despite the fact that he's left the BGA Tour from a a full-time standpoint. In terms of payouts... Kepka Bags, 3.15 million for yesterday's efforts. Victor Hovlin and Scotty Scheffler, 1.54 each on the split second place. Cam Davis, Kurt Kitayama, Bryson DeChambeau, a player who I was very impressed with yesterday uh, and all weekend in his kind of new look, new format. Split 840, $800, or 000, excuse me, for a fourth place tie. And Rory and Sep Straka who had an unbelievable Sunday. Split 555K each for a tied for seventh. Um, it was a nice field. We saw some good players struggle early and kind of make a run late. I'd put Cam Smith in that boat. I'd put certainly Straka, who had a great day, and Scheffler in that boat, who kind of came out of nowhere late down the stretch to bounce up a few spots. He definitely hung around like he likes to do on a Sunday. And made one or two missteps from Kepka. We saw Hovland misstep. Uh, if Kepka had missed up just a little bit, that could have got real fun and real interesting between Kepka and Scheffler down the stretch, but just not enough ammo and, and Brooks was up for the challenge. So, uh, I think I I thought a really good showing by Rochester, a local, uh, a local city to me here. And it was good to be at, I don't get to too many of those. So this was a a treat for me. And I thought with Kepka back in the storyline probably time to have that discussion at some point of just how many majors this guy can pull he's on record saying this is what he cares about most i think the live the move to live secured that right i'm i'm now i literally give a rats behind about the pga schedule i'm not going to do it i'm going to i'm going to play less golf uh make more money and ramp myself up for these four big events and now he's uh, he's shown back to back he certainly had the 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 game in the Masters to get it done just didn't have the juice down the stretch. He did now. He's back to full health, and you saw what that looks like. So, I think there's a he's a force to be reckoned with, and he'll be somebody to watch in these next two events, and certainly in the years to come. A couple of more items on the list today. I'm going to talk Aaron Hicks and his designation from the Yankees, what that means, uh, his career, and uh, just where it all came to, to came to a head. You knew this was coming. It's just a matter of uh, financially speaking, what does it mean and where do we go from here? And then I've got a best available NFL free agents discussion. I just posted the article on spotright.com. I went position by position. I didn't go too deep, uh, but there are some names. And by the way, there's some edge rushers. There's maybe a half a dozen edge rushers that not that I'm surprised because we've seen this now for three, four seasons where notable names, especially at that position, sort of exist in June. (laughs) <laughs> on the open market, and uh, you know, there's a compensatory draft picks uh, d- discussion to be had there. There's also, I think, there's a lot of uh, misconception about where that market is, still. You know, when you get to a certain age, certainly when you get to a certain point of the off season, which is where we are. We're past the, you know, we're an OTA season now, so it's not exactly the free agent season anymore, in terms of the the oomph. Guys just overpriced themselves. Now there's some names. Guys still probably looking for 10 million plus per year on a multi-year guarantee. It's not gonna happen. You know, it's very rare that a player that exists right now on the open market gets the contract that's fair value. You're looking for a showcase contract now. You're looking for that one-year tender with a half decent base value where you can make really good coin on incentives, maybe playoff incentives, and then reset yourself. Hopefully, you have an aged out of the of the free agent market next year, and maybe you can get yourself that two year guarantee next year. So uh, that's where we are in this in this in this stint of the off season. There's some names, so I'm going to run through them here in a second. Let's talk Aaron Hicks though. Uh, the Yankees finally did the deed, designating Hicks. He's going to clear waivers. Here's why: it's one word twenty seven million dollars. That's what's left on his contract. Uh, it's a little over that actually when you talk about the proration for the rest of the season. Nine and a half million next year, nine and a half million the year after that, and a one million dollar buyout in a club option. So I mean, that's all you need to know about where this is going. By the way, not huge money, right? I mean, that's a that's essentially a, a three for twenty-seven for what should be still a starting outfielder. He's just not that player. He's been on the injured list every year except for 2020, the shortened year. And last year, when he had, you know, a fairly full season. He played 130 games. Started one ten of them, got himself almost four hundred abs. He hasn't done that since twenty eighteen. So they gave him last year all the ability, all the access, right, all the opportunity to rejuvenate himself a little bit, and he still batted two sixteen with a six forty two ops. Now he carried an over two war last year, so he was doing enough in a scattered, you know, a scattered platoon kind of role to make a difference on a team that, if you remember, was historically headed towards 115 regular season wins at one point in time. So I, I do think there'll be a, a number of teams that look at it from that perspective. Th- there was a world, when, when he came over from the Twins, he struggled early on, again, injuries, risks, all sorts of things. And, and that was sort of the moniker of, of why the Twins gave up on their number 14 pick after just really three seasons. Um, but 2017, 2018, this guy was an eight and a half WAR combined. So there was a, there was a world where the Yankees really relied on this guy as their everyday center fielder. It just didn't last. The body broke down. Uh, It it may be a lack of keeping himself in shape and keeping himself in good health. But I think some bad luck is more of the story here. And, uh, and really it's just about now opportunity. And when I think about where this is going, when he clears waivers, when that 27 and a half million becomes the Yankees problem and he hits the open market on a minimum $720,000 prorated, right? We're talking $510,000 for the rest of the season after it's all said and done tomorrow. And he clears, there's going to be teams that not only, you know, you know, want that value, but could utilize him immediately in their outfield, the Marlins, the Reds. I'd even put the pirates who are only a game back from first place in their division right now. It's May 22nd. We're at Memorial weekend here. So I, I don't think there's going to be, you know, it's going to be quiet crickets for this guy. He's not an impact player, but doing what he was able to do last year with really not hitting the ball, right? Eight homers, 40 RBIs, nine doubles. He's not going to be, uh, you you know, a highlight reel in any regard. And that includes being in the outfield now as well. But as a guy off your bench, as a guy to have on your bench, right, who has been through some postseasons who has now been in big organizations with the Yankees for a while now, maybe being able to give some of that advice, some of that experience have it trickle down a little bit to a Pirates organization that is overachieving right now. I throw Baltimore in this conversation especially because of the AL East ties. That's kind of that's kind of sneaky good. Um and look, uh, that's not to say that some of the, one of the contending teams, uh, true contending teams won't utilize him as a bench player as well. Uh, that's very, very possible. I'm I'm just saying this feels a little bit like a Zeke Elliott situation, a name I'm gonna talk about in a couple of minutes, where yeah, the contract was in the way. You know, it, it was it was way more than what we were seeing or getting from him on the field. But inconsistency inconsistently when healthy, Aaron Hicks is still a viable major league baseball player. He's 33 and a half. He's almost 34. So we're at the end of it here. It's not like I'm saying this guy's going to, you know, rejuvenate himself for the rest of the season and then find himself a four-year contract. That's not happening. All right. It's year to year forever now, but especially with the 27 million chains being paid out, right? He's, uh, he's in good hands, but he's not a nobody. He's not a nobody. And, uh, in a, in a true platoon, maybe even true depth role third, you know, third man in role. There's going to be value there, especially with 500,000 and change left on this contract for the rest of the year. So uh, those are the teams i put him in, I'd identify him for right now, but it's really about, you know, who does he want to play for? You know, it's a, it's a life decision now more than it is a baseball decision, you know, at the end of his career. Um, there are better places to play ball than Pittsburgh, although that stadium is fantastic, but there's probably a pretty good energy on that roster right now, you know, sitting sitting one game back. A bunch of young kids a couple of them hurt right now but he could be you know i needed a voice in that room now i have no idea what kind of human being he is he's maybe he's introverted and quiet and he'll never be able to fill that role that i'm that i'm extrapolating here but if he's not right if there's a if there's an energy to him that he could include to a young team why not i put the cubs in this conversation too i know dan thinks they're going to continue to pile up and they did just designate eric hosmer as he said they would uh, so maybe they're going the other direction where they're actually trying to bring in more youth and have less, you know, old baggage on their, on their hands, but everybody needs outfield depth. Everybody could use a, a little bit of a bat off the bench, which is what Hicks can be right now. Uh, so those teams kind of stand out right now, especially with the value that comes with the contract. Career earnings, Aaron Hicks right now through the 2023 season. So including the 10 and a half he's going to make this year, no matter what he's at 51. When when it's all said and done and and the and the buyout money that's about to kick in does kick in, he'll be at 71 million dollars earned over 11 seasons. And you can probably tack on another 500,000 for the rest of this season, so let's say 72 and call it call it there and then if uh he's able to l- latch on to somewhere next year, he can certainly pile onto that, but not a bad outing for a player that I think many would consider a bust where he was drafted, number 14 overall. He was one of the top prospects in Minnesota at the time. And uh, look, if you want to think about it this way from a Yankees perspective, and you, those two years you really did get peak Aaron Hicks, 17 and 18, you traded John Ryan Murphy for him straight up in, in November of 2015. Uh, so you won the trade, New York. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, the seven-year extension never should have happened. In February of 2019, that was a mistake. It's uh, it's one of the black marks that go on the Yankees' history. There's no question about it. But uh, they'll pay the rest of that, and somebody else will get a, a good value depth experience player now for the rest of the season. All right, as I mentioned in the open, I posted an article on chart.com the best available NFL free agents remaining as OTAs begin to kick off here. I went positionally just to kind of keep it organized and uh, obviously keep things as uh, as fresh as possible there's going to be signings that happen literally every hour for the next couple of days here as otas ramp up and teams understand where they're where they're down uh, maybe a couple of udfas fall off the roster here that uh, you know they see them once or twice and realize nope that's not a good fit we need to move in a different direction and we'll we will pay the vet minimum for x player uh, quarterback wise i think carson wentz is an easy fit at the top of this list I'm not sure if it's him not accepting this backup role yet, but if he looks around the league, he's going to have to because outside of one of these rookies not getting the week one start, there's really just not a, a, an opportunity for him right now to even walk in and compete. If I do a bit of a deeper dive into this quarterback room uh, and the depth charts for every team, I, I think there's two teams that this makes sense for. Now, look, you Will he be an able backup? Will he come in and do the work? Will he come in and accept himself? I, I don't know. You know, It seems like he continues to get chances that he doesn't deserve. That chance just doesn't exist right now unless freakishly somebody gets injured over the next couple of weeks. And oh, by the way, if he hasn't accepted himself as a QB2, that might be exactly what he's waiting for. Okay? Because right now the alternative is you... Trade for Ryan Tannehill. You roll with whatever you know, second, third, or fourth finger you have, or you sign Carson Wentz off of the open market. There may be an agent or two in his ear right now saying, "Look, man, let's just play this out. All right, let's let the summer kind of do its thing." There's going to be a twist on a knee. There's going to be an ink on you know an an elbow that gives out. Something's going to happen somewhere. And availability is going to be going to happen, and you're going to be the guy that everybody looks to. So. It might not be the worst business play, but at the end of the day, I do think this guy's going to have to sacrifice for, you know, a one for two, one for three, one for four base. That includes starting roll up incentives and and things like that. The Packers could use a better backup situation. Uh, they may be reluctant to do so because Jordan Love needs some air to breathe finally, right? Uh, and Carson Wentz may be more of a negative than a positive as a backup right now but there's a need there's a need for a better body there and i put minnesota in this conversation as well and and here's why uh i mentioned it last time on the pod that i didn't think minnesota was doing enough in their final finally free role in this division you know the the bears are asking a lot to take that next step detroit feels like they didn't do enough this offseason to take that next step they made kind of flatline here and it's asking a boatload of Jordan Love to even sustain what the Packers have been for the last five to 10. The Vikings should be prepared for everything, and that includes an injury to Kirk Cousins, who's going to be playing like his ass for for his next contract and, his, and to stick around, honestly, in Minnesota. I don't know that they have what they need behind him. They might. They might be fine with their current situation. But I'm not sure Nick Mullins is the guy you want for six weeks, if Kirk Cousins is dealing with an injury, and at his age, and it's very possible. So I, I'd like to see the, the Vikings become deeper and more prepared and more ready for what should be another great regular season like they had last year. But maybe with you know one more year of experience on some of these younger players, they're actually able to do a damn when it comes to the postseason this time around. So again, I'm not sure adding Carson Wentz is a is a bigger positive than negative right now, and I'm not sure. He's in the frame of mind to join an organization as a QB2. But for now, he remains at the top of this list from, from a quarterback standpoint. Honorable mention, Teddy Bridgewater. There's some injury history there and, and, and some declining play. And I put the same with Nick Foles, who probably has, has had his last chance to actually take a snap in, in any kind of capacity. But again, with experience, probably the kind of guy you want around as a third quarterback if you can get him to do so and you're a contending team. Running backs. I mentioned Zeke. He's, he remains. There's a couple, but Zeke to me is still at the top of this list. He will officially fall off the, the Cowboys salary cap on June 1st, but he's been free to sign since March 13th. So there's uh, It's just a waiting game. You know, there's no comp pick or anything like that anymore. Uh, he may still be looking for four or five million a year. That may have to come down to two with incentives, uh, or maybe that three three and a half million dollar deal that Fournette got last year. Something around that. Uh, that degree. But look, the Chargers and the Rams both need help at this position. Uh, Zeke may be looking for somebody a little bit in, in a little bit more contention. He also may be waiting for Jerry Jones to re-sign him because of Pollard's injury and things like that. So uh, again, there's a lot of angles this could be coming from. This was a situation where the contract was just way too much to stay into. But this guy had 970 yards from scrimmage and 12 touchdowns last year. Okay? I mean, there's a... There's a world where, yes, he's, age, he's aging out of this position. He's declined a bit. He's lost a step speed-wise. He, he still knows how to do this thing. And if the offensive line can keep him healthy and, and the play calling can keep him healthy, he's extremely productive, especially as a one-two punch, maybe the two in that one-two punch. I think a return to Dallas makes the most sense. I really do. But everybody's got to agree on the contract here. Honorable mentions, I haven't mentioned Fournette. I don't know, man. He looked cooked but is he one of those guys that maybe mid-season signs for one year at the minimum and comes in and wrecks the league for six weeks? It's possible. It's possible that he's, he's still got the kind of motivation, but we've seen a lot of inconsistency out of him in the past. And I feel like the world has forgotten about Kareem hunt. Um, the Browns really did a disservice, disservice to him last year from a play calling standpoint. Uh, has he just lost the step that, that keeps him as a viable wide receiver option out of the backfield? maybe, but the fact that nobody's brought him in to at least see it themselves yet makes little sense to me because of the importance of how that's gone with play calling over the past couple of years. I think there's a world where this happens. Maybe teams that are hoping Austin Eckler is actually available at some point in time or are waiting to see if they can win the Delvin Cook sweepstakes, see Kareem Hunt as plan B and we'll get that done eventually. But he uh, he remains available as of right now. Wide receivers. I got Jarvis Landry here. He has absolutely fallen off, uh, and the production has gone with it. Of course, suffered a hamstring injury last year that really, uh, you know, torpedoed any kind of chance of getting back into the good graces here. But this is a minimum player now. You know, a minimum contract player. Uh, I mentioned the Vikings already. I'm going to say him again. They they have to replace Adam Thielen with a couple of options and they drafted Jordan Addison. That's certainly going to work out in my opinion in a couple of years. I'm not sure it's going to work out immediately out of the gate and Justin Jefferson needs help. There's no question about that. They're going to, they're going to have Hawkins in there for one more year. At least they're going to lose Dalvin cook. They're going to rely on some younger running back depth. Why not bring in a minimum option that you can throw across the slot at times and at least take some pressure off of justin jefferson when needed so i i do think the vikings with landry makes a little bit of sense kenny galladay is still sitting out there there's a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth from that giants experience he's getting a roster bonus to leave there so uh doesn't need to necessarily come up and ramp up here but i i do think there's a world where he's a near minimum player on a team just looking for a flyer at some point and I've got Byron Pringle as well, who had a great year in Kansas City two years ago, and was an afterthought in Chicago last year. So we'll see if he can latch on as well. Tight ends: Anthony Furkser. This guy was good, right? He had a he had a moment for a while here. He's not thirty; he just turned twenty eight. Uh, he had th- back to back thirty plus catch seasons just two years ago. Now, you know, if you need a third option right now, at least to bring into camp, if you're the Rams, the Saints, the Broncos who seem to be a tight end shirt right now in their depth chart, bring him in on a minimum, guarantee him a $150,000 signing bonus and see what you can get for the summer. Uh, This guy's still valuable. And I think Cam Brates in that same conversation, though he's four or five years older and has kind of gone through this process too many times. He may be looking for a very late signing or he may hang him up as well. Offensive line, I've got Ben Jones here. I can't believe that experienced centers still exist on the open market right now, especially with so many young quarterbacks about to take the snaps for week one. Uh, if you are the Panthers, the Texans or the Colts, you should be looking at this guy every single day. And if there's not something terribly wrong with him physically, he should be on your roster. Uh, he could be asking for too much. That's, uh, that's sort of what we're seeing right now with some of these older players who, uh, who are simply just trying to get every dollar they can and, and more power to them. But at the end of the day, lashing this guy up with one of these rookie quarterbacks makes a hell of a lot of sense. i got an interesting name for defensive tackle here. I've got Chris Wormley who put in a good stint with the Steelers over the past three seasons, had seven sacks two years ago and suffered a nasty torn ACL injury mid-December. So there's a recovery road here, and teams are certainly waiting that out, obviously. But if this guy can get himself to where he's on a field around training camp, this is not this is a do-it-all defensive lineman. Nose tackle who, who can also step outside a little bit. You know, he's not just a, a you know, a, a mid-round sack type guy. He's a run stuffer. He's everything. Uh, but do these kind of players recover from those ACLs? No, not, not fully usually. So you're going have to have to go through quite a tryout process if he can get on the field by training camp. But this is a contender, a contender name. This is a Buffalo Bills name. This is a, I guess the Vikings again, right? The Browns could use more impact power here. Uh, everybody could use a run stuffing, edge rusher, defensive, te- defensive lineman who can sit anywhere on the, on the line. But uh, this is more about health than anything else. I still don't know why Frank Clark doesn't have a contract. I really don't. Um, at one point in time, I just thought it was a waiting game with the Chiefs. I've heard nothing to that regard at all. Nothing. And now the conversation is starting to switch to how do they get the Chiefs back, right? What happens if... Uh, if the chargers end up signing this dude, what happens if I don't think Vegas is in on this because they've got the bloated Chandler Jones contract, but I know the Niners are thinking about it. I know the Seahawks are probably putting together offers for this guy. Is he healthy? Is he motivated? You know, is he looking for less than 10 million a year? Cause you know, I still think he's a 12 to 15 at age 29, but not in June. <laughs> okay. Not in June. All right. This is one of those situations where somebody might get this guy a one for six. That could be one for 10. And then he goes and reevaluates himself next March and uh, latches on with an extension or a free agent contract at that point in time. It's, it's a little screwy to me that this guy's sitting out there. I understand the Leonard Floyd's and the Yannick got We've kind of seen that come and go twice through this process, but he's Frank Clark becomes the next version of Jadavian Clowney and, and Justin Houston and these guys that show enough. Right. I mean, postseason experience. Clark had three huge sacks last playoffs. Uh yeah, the regular season was a bit of a dip. I think that might be intentional to some degree. You know, some of these savvy veterans in positions of of prominence are, are understanding that those, that this longer regular season might have to be a little bit of an up and down so that you are fully prepared for a postseason run and every single Chiefs player was in that regard. So, I don't know where 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 front offices are are knocking him right now. My guess is it's the asking price, but he's going to land on one of these on one of these contenders, the the Jets, the Lions, the Seahawks, the Niners. He's going to land. And uh, I don't know why he wouldn't make a huge impact. Inside linebackers, this is a come and go kind of position. We saw a lot of draft picks here. We saw some teams go big, right? Tremaine Edmonds, the Bears, 50 million. They also backed that up with T.J. Edwards from Philly. I uh, feel like you could probably use another body here. They've got a ton of youth, right? The Georgia youth on that defensive line. Um, but I think Kyle Van Noy, who is not the same player as he was four years ago, obviously should return to the Chargers. should fall into the, become the next Steelers linebacker should return to the Patriots for a little bit of familiarity for, for Belichick and that, and that defense, which two years ago was one of the best defenses of all in football. And uh, for, for whatever reason, last year was just an absolute disaster. I would put coaching as a, a priority there as to why that happened. But that's a team that is going to fringe in the, AL, in the in the AFC East. And a guy like that can only make it better, even if he's a step behind right now. Marcus Peters uh, just pushed out of a crowded Ravens secondary. I mean, he's still doing it. There was an injury situation. Uh, his, t- his position was drafted over. And there's a ton of dollars invested in the Baltimore secondary. So Peters has to look elsewhere. This is a classic showcase contract. I think the Niners and the Seahawks, who I think are looking defense big time still right now, are in play for this. And I would be surprised if it wasn't the one for four that could be 10 or 12. That's about what we're seeing now, where we saw Ty Matthew get this, a couple years ago and uh, reestablished himself with a big contract with the Saints. Peters has a chance to do the same if he can stay healthy with a good team this year. John Johnson, uh, the, the Browns tenure did not work after what I thought was a really successful run with the Rams. I, I don't know why a contender wouldn't bring this guy in as the, you know, the backup box safety, whatever you want to call him, strong safety. He's more of a traditional strong safety, but uh, it's possible that teams are scheming away from a player like John Johnson and that he is not strong enough to hold up as a do it all type safety. It's possible, but he's 27 years old and if you need depth and I think the bills need some depth in this position with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer aging and both with injury history now. And Oh, by the way, DeMar Hamlin is the number two option right now, which, you know, hopefully never has to have a problem again, but could, could very well come with some sort of inconsistencies from an injury standpoint. I think Johnson would fit nicely. And oh, by the way, they signed Taylor Rapp, another Ram safety with some success over the past couple of seasons. So it could be a, a one-two depth duo for the for the Bills as former Ram safeties. And special teamers. Had to get a 40-year-old in here whenever you can. That's Robbie Gold. Um, the 49ers officially replaced them after a bunch of really great years. I don't think this guy's done yet. Um, I'd hate to see him be like a platoon guy that bounced around four teams, but... It feels like he's waiting for the right opportunity with the right team and a team that's actually worth his time. He had 85% of his field goals, 90% of his PATs. So nothing to slack about there. He's a near minimum. You know, he was overpaid for the past couple of seasons just to stick around in San Fran and rightfully so they needed him. And, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of evaluating some of these young kickers that got brought in either via the draft or UDFAs. And, uh, If they immediately look like they're not going to be the guy, Robbie Gold's coming into one of these teams. And finally, speaking of UDFAs, undrafted free agents, we uh, we have some tally totals with the NFL teams. Six teams signed more than a million dollars of guarantees for their UDFA class this year. Six, the Cowboys, the Saints, the Vikings, the Chiefs, the Browns, the Jets, all in the conversation for their division or their conference let's put it that way uh from a per standpoint right so guaranteed dollars per udfa signed the browns lead the way at almost $116,000 per player and the cowboys right behind them at about 114,000 the eagles did some pretty good damage here not only 9 udfas but almost you know 920,000 guaranteed this is becoming a a more prominent situation more teams are saying it's worth my time to throw 80 to 150,000 guaranteed, whether it's a small signing bonus and a a first year salary guarantee at these players, A, to get them in the door. B, if they play, they're going to make $750,000 from us anyway, right? Or some sort of prorated version of that if they don't stick the whole season. So why don't we pay for two weeks of their pay, right? And oh, by the way, something that's not talked about a lot all of this includes offsets. So, if you see a player that's got a $15,000 signing bonus but a $125,000 salary guarantee and that player is released, you know, in the next couple of months here before before final rosters are set, if that player goes and signs on and plays 5 weeks of football with any other team, including just the practice squad, whatever he earns from that other team is going to be reduced from the $125,000 salary guarantee that was offered to this player in May right? by the other team, by the first team. So it's a long game. It's not about the immediacy. These these teams aren't handing these players $125,000 just because they waived them in September before final cuts. That's not happening. Okay. It's an after the season credit process where, all right, Player X made eighty thousand dollars at the end of the year from team from Team Two, so there's another forty-five thousand coming from the original team. He still makes his one twenty-five, but that first team is only paying thirty percent of it now instead of hundred percent of it. So it's a bit of a cat and mouse game. Teams are becoming more privy of this, and they're happy to say upfront, "Look, we'll we'll go kind of big on this." And you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars is big. A million million and a half from the Cowboys. It's a decent investment in undrafted players. 13 players at 1.5 million, that's, that's good investment. This is the mindset though. If we hit on two of them, two, and these guys give, give us any kind of snaps throughout the year, it's unbelievable financial value for us. We get these guys under, on three-year contracts, okay? They can't really renegotiate because of, because of their status and service time unless we waive them and start over. So we kind of have them right now kind of have them. So it's really just about lightning in a bottle situation. And like I said, the guarantees may sound like they're piling up, but that's not all one team paying that out. Because 85% of these players fall off the roster before week one, latch on somewhere else, sit on a practice squad, accrue 13 dollars $14,000 a week. And that's just money coming away from that initial guarantee from team one back in May. So it's a, it's a convoluted process. It's good business it's good business it's tough for these players who bounce around a lot you know only make 10 or 12,000 here and there especially if they're practice squad players but any kind of call up even that that 55th man call up on sunday gets them a prorated version of 750 you know, right the, the year one salary so it is worth their time right now i'm happy to see that teams are front loading things a little bit more we saw some pretty significant signing bonuses a couple in the 80s couple in the 90s uh, and that's cash in hand. That's There's nothing about offsets or uh, cre- cre- after-season credits with those suckers. Those are getting kept paid out cash in hand. So the whole process is becoming more and more uh, financially sound. And we're seeing more and more of these players hit. Some of them make the starting roster right out of the gate. We've seen that now a couple a couple years in a row. But for the most part, 25 to 30% of these teams' rosters at the end of the day are comprised of UDFAs. And we'll continue to track that, but that's where it's going. Yeah, there's value. B, you just need a lot of bodies in this league. It's not about five guys on a basketball court and two more on the bench. It's just not what this league's about, right? It's 52, 53, plus two more that come up, plus 15 on your practice squad, plus 15 guys that hit injured reserve at any point in time, you know, and then uh, some replacement players. So it's a, at the end of the day, you're talking about 75 to 85 players throughout a given regular season that have to be available and ready and part of the salary cap. So it's uh, it makes good business sense to throw 10 to 15 players into this UDFA pool every year, guarantee them all something, push most of them out the door if you need to, as you need to, bring back right maybe more than half of that initial list as a practice squad, as long as you've done your research and things go well, And then you can start your process of actually having like a bit of a minor league system right well we're getting this guy ready for year two we got him under contract for three we'll waive him we'll practice squad him keep his service time intact bring him back on a reserve futures contract in january on maybe a two-year deal maybe he can make the roster out of the gate then we've got him for two full years at minimum salaries with really no guarantees at that point because he's already gone through the process once and we'll go from there so it's up and down it's kind of like the fake unwritten minor league system in the NFL right now. And as practice squads expand, which they've done since COVID and as UDFA classes expand, something that I've noticed, right? We've had the Seahawks have 25, the Rams have 28, the Ravens with 20, there's five teams with 20 plus UDFA players this year, this off season, And we're not really done yet. I mean, a couple more get added every single day at the NFL transaction wire. So teams are really starting to take advantage of this, especially those that didn't have a lot of draft picks are struggling free agency wise or maybe are trying to purge their payroll a little bit, something I'd put the Rams at the top of that list for right now, okay, I'll talk some basketball soon as I uh believe we'll have a couple of big big teams to talk off season about here uh speaking to the Lakers and Celtics specifically. I'm going to have Keith ready and ramped up for that conversation, and then we'll be closing in on the official nBA off season, which is uh Keith's sweet spot. And he's already done plenty of work on spottrack.com for us in that regard. I will flip the switch to some baseball trade candidates soon. Um, and then start talking 2024 NFL here very, very shortly because it's uh, a decent class extension candidates, free agents, things like that. And obviously it's going to be a much more highlighted draft as well, with some real quarterback competitions uh, heading into college football for the upcoming fall season. So plenty more to get to. We'll uh, keep track of it at spotdraft.com. For Scott Allen. My name is Mike Ginetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.